0: Turn with me please to 2nd Samuel. 2nd Samuel. Our main reading is from chapter 19, but we're going to read first a few verses from 16, and then our main reading will be 19, and then we'll read one verse from chapter 21. So Samuel, 2 Samuel 16, 1 through 4. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread and a hundred bunches of raisins and a hundred of summer fruits and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, the asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and some of fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, Where is thy master's son? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he, Mephibosheth, abideth at Jerusalem, for he said. Today shall the house of Israel restore me, the kingdom of my father. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertained unto Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my Lord, O king. And then turn to chapter 19. Chapter 16, David is fleeing from Absalom. He's leaving his throne. Chapter 19, uh, Absalom has defaulted, and David is returning. And he has another encounter with Mephibosheth, continuing on from the sermon this morning. But also with Shimei, which we won't focus on, but we want to read about it to get the picture of the contrast between Shimei and Mephibosheth. So we'll start at verse 15 of chapter 19 and read through verse 30. So the king returned and came to Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Girah, a Benjamite, which was of Behurim, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons, and his 20 servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king. And they went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gerah, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan and said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore behold, I am come the first this day, of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die. And the king sware unto him. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, also came down to meet the king, and had neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes, from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest thou now with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant, deceive me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me and ask that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. And he has slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do thou therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more? Unto the king. And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, for as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. And then chapter 21, just one verse, verse 7, which summarizes the rest of uh, Mephibosheth's life. Last time we read about him in the Bible. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Dear church family, post-communion can often be a time of trial. Trial. God feasts his people, and then he frequently tries them. And often these trials take us a little bit off guard. We anticipate the Lord's Supper, as we heard this morning. Some go through great trials and preparatory week. But then it's finished, and we think, well, now it's time to relax a bit. But one of the major purposes of the Lord's Supper is actually to strengthen our faith so that we can grow Through additional trials, grow in understanding our misery, our deliverance, and grow in gratitude. And so, post-communion, the Holy Spirit often leads the children of God deeper into a sense of their misery, deeper into a sense of their deliverance in Christ, and deeper in a sense of gratitude to surrender their entire lives to Him. And So, last week, this morning, you heard a great deal already about God's dealings with Mephibosheth from Reverend Biles' two sermons in 2 Samuel 9. You've heard about the fascinating story of stupendous kindness. You've heard about David just saying one word, Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth responds, Behold thy servant. And we've heard this morning about God's covenant with the greater Jonathan, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how Mephibosheth responds with great gratitude as do all God's people. By bowing before him and saying, why shouldst thou look upon such a dead dog as I am? All the grace, all the kindness poured upon us is Unbelievable and yet believable because of Jesus Christ. So this morning we left Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table, carried there every day despite his lameness to eat of the king's riches. But tonight we see the next story about Mephibosheth that is often not preached about as much, but yet. A very profound story where Mephibosheth learns in a kind of a recycling way, but now deeper through a greater trial in a sense, lessons about his misery, deliverance, and gratitude again. And how we need to hear that as well as we go forward in our Christian sojourn. So we're going to look primarily at verses 24 through 30 of Second Samuel 19, and I'll just read verse 30 right now. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let Ziba take all, for as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. So our theme tonight is God's experiential grace tried and deepened after communion. And we'll see that in terms of misery, deliverance, and gratitude. Misery tried and deepened, deliverance tried and deepened, gratitude tried and deepened. Now why is it that believers often face numerous trials in their lives? Why couldn't Mephibosheth, in other words, just stay at the king's table for the remainder of his life. Enjoy the riches of the king. Be glad in the Lord without having to face more trials of again being led through the experience of misery, deliverance, and gratitude, to to put it in a Heidelberg Catechism kind of language. Well, the short answer to this question, is that God often tries His own work of salvation in us in order to lead us to the more profoundly embrace the depths, the depths of His superabounding grace in the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, Mephibosheth's misery, his sense of sin and misery, wasn't only true and real the first time around, as well as his sense of deliverance and gratitude, but God wants to lead him to grow in all of these things, to have this be an ongoing cycle, to deepen his sense of unworthiness in himself, to deepen his sense of deliverance in Christ, and to deepen his sense of gratitude for such great deliverance. And often God uses the Lord's Supper and leads us post-communion to learn to lose His benefits as our anchor in order to cling more and more to God Himself as our benefactor. And let me repeat that, because that's really the underlying lesson of 2 Samuel 19. That's really the thematic proposition, as it were, that we learn to lo- lose God's benefits as our anchor, our experiences as well as our anchor, in order to cling to God Himself as our benefactor. So, if you understand what I'm saying, you will know also in your own life what it means At times, to have things taken from you, to to lose things that you cherished, in order to rest more profoundly on God Himself and who He is, and learn thereby to be more concerned about His glory than anything else. And so we are weaned. We are weaned by the Holy Spirit from relying only on God's benefits, and we learn to end in God Himself, in His character, in who He is, as our benefactor. That's what's going on in Second Samuel nineteen twenty-four through 30. So this, this section of Scripture is set in the context of the background of David having been dethroned by his own son, Absalom. Absalom led a coup against his own father, such that David had to leave Jerusalem with some of his loyal supporters and friends. And unsurprisingly, Mephibosheth, of course, wants to go with David. He loves David. He doesn't want to stay in Jerusalem and be under Absalom. That would be an abomination to him. But how can he leave Jerusalem when he is lame on both his feet? He can't stay with Absalom, the enemy who's on the throne, and yet he can't go without a, a donkey. And without Ziba, who was under Mephibosheth, who was Mephibosheth's servant, and those 15 servants from Ziba's family could all serve. Mephibosheth. So that's what Mephibosheth decides to do in his quandary. He'll call his main servant Ziba, and he says to him in 2 Samuel 16 verse 1, at least that's what it implies, saddle a donkey and ask for me. And uh, we know that Ziba did saddle a donkey, and he put on it 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 fruits, and a bottle of wine, no doubt requested by Mephibosheth, And take me to visit the king in his shame and humiliation. That was Mephibosheth's desire. Well, Ziba follows all of Mephibosheth's orders precisely, except he doesn't take Mephibosheth along. He turns traitor, he turns traitor on Mephibosheth. And he's powerless, Mephibosheth is powerless to change this dire situation, being lame on both his feet. So Ziba goes without him, abandons him. And worse yet, when he gets to David, and David says, well, where's where's thy master's son? Where's Mephibosheth? Ziba boldly, bold-facedly, blatantly lies. He says, behold, Mephibosheth abides at Jerusalem, For Mephibosheth said, Today shall the house of Israel restore to me the kingdom of my father. I mean, this is slander of the worst kind. There wasn't a bone of Mephibosheth's body that wanted to become king and take the place of his his father Saul. Mephibosheth loved David. And yet Ziba basically says to David. Mephibosheth has been inwardly hankering under Absalom to have the kingdom. And he's not coming with me because he wants the kingdom instead of you. How much damage one lying Ziba can do in a family, in a political power struggle, but also in the church of Jesus Christ, only one Ziba can do so much damage. And, and you feel for Mephibosheth. What can he do? What can he do to change the situation? There's no cell phones in those days. He can't call David. He can't go to him. He can't undress this outrageous slander and turn it around. He's helpless. He's no way of telling David that the exact opposite is the truth. You see, God sometimes leads His people into places where they learn to suffer some something that's a shadow of the sufferings of Christ, and they have the only thing left to do is to, just to pray, just to pray, to commend the whole situation to the Lord and leave it in His hands. But Mephibosheth also has to learn from this that the service of love he's offering David by coming with all this food and gifts is cut off. He wants to come to David with a broken heart. He's broken because David is, is being run out of town. He's being run away from the throne. He wants to serve the king, but all his service is now broken down, cut off, There's no way that he can act upon it. So he's plunged into mourning. He's sitting all alone. He doesn't eat or drink. He doesn't wash his face. doesn't even wash his clothes. He doesn't shave or trim his beard. He cannot let the king depart without him. And yet he cannot go with him. He cannot be without King David. And yet he cannot be with King David. All of Jerusalem... And all the benefits he, he has gotten from David. It all seems like nothing without King David. All the dainties of the king's tasty food on the table is meaningless if he can't see the face of the king. In fact, it's a burden to eat there because he sees Absalom's face, the traitor and not David's. See, David had become everything for Mephibosheth, and by extension, the God of David. And as we are led more and more in this life into our own misery, our own helplessness, our own dependency, you see, God works that inside of his people, that more and more and more they understand that life is empty without the Lord. Lord's Supper is empty without beholding through his word the face of our God. Everything is empty without Jesus. Thirty some years ago, I visited a new widow in this congregation for the first time, walked into her house house was beautiful i mean it was really beautiful the interior decorations were amazing there was original oil paintings hanging in the living room i just kind of looked around and said well this is a really beautiful home oh she said it's all nothing i said it's nothing she said yeah my husband isn't here it's all nothing and you see that's how mephibosheth felt all of jerusalem is nothing without david And that's how a child of God comes to feel. I don't care how successful you or I have been in in any area of our lives. If God is missing, if God is lacking, if we can't lay hold of him, if we can't behold his face, if we can't end in Jesus Christ, everything, everything is empty. It's all nothing. Worse than nothing. So all the external benefits, the food, the drink, the wealth, the servants, in which which Mephibosheth participated, now becomes almost like a mockery to him. You see, so it is in the Lord's Supper. For us, today, I'm spiritualizing now. But the wine and the bread, if all you saw was wine or bread, and you didn't see This is symbolic of the sufferings of the Savior for me. If all you did was end just in the outward benefits, but you didn't get at the heart of the matter and behold your Savior, and you had to walk back from the table, saying with Job, oh, that I knew where I might find him. You see, then all of the worship service, everything we engage in, even coming to the Lord's table, he is, is as if it were, becomes nothing to us. I, I miss him whom my soul loveth. I need the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so part of the deepening experience in the field of misery is that I learned to be cut off from my own service of love. I learned, to, I learned from everything that there's nothing I can contribute in any way to the glory of God or do for God, as it were, even though I'm called to live my life for him. But I need need him. I need him to do everything for me who can do nothing for him. And so the only thing left Mephibosheth has now are some of the possessions of David, but it doesn't do him good when he doesn't have David. Now, to prove to you that this is going on in the heart of Mephibosheth, you have to understand that Mephibosheth is not angry here. How would you feel if someone betrayed you the way Ziba betrayed Mephibosheth? You you and I would be angry. We would be angry. And we would say, how is it possible? What a hypocrite. And Ziba is a hypocrite, a terrible hypocrite. How could he lie so blatantly about me? How could he destroy my reputation with David? And then go on and act as if he's humble about it. Because that's what 2 Samuel 16 says. Verse 4 says, Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertain to Mephibosheth. After the king hears that Mephibosheth wants to be king. The king then gives everything Mephibosheth had over to his number one servant, Ziba. And what's Ziba's response? Second Samuel 16, verse 4. What a hypocrite. He says, I humbly, humbly? You liar. You false liar. I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my Lord, O King. And Mephibosheth must have heard about all this because he says, Ziba betrayed me. He knows all about it. And yet you don't read anything, anything about Mephibosheth's anger. In fact, just the opposite. He responds to Ziba's bad treatment of him humbly and submissively. Look at verse 28 in, in chapter 19. It's an amazing verse. All of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou, David, set thy servant among them that did eat at thy own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? How could Mephibosheth respond so humbly to such treachery? Well, Mephibosheth is being led deeper into his own misery, his own need, and deeper into his deliverance in Christ, in God. He he understands that Ziba, somehow in God's mysterious providence, is, is there. Not against the will of God, even though what he's doing is sinful. He looks beyond what Calvin called secondary causation to the ultimate causation, the primary causation of all things, God himself. He sees that God is emptying him and weaning him, leaving him helpless and penniless, rejected from every side, losing David, losing now all the gifts that he was bringing David, but also all the gifts that David had brought to him. And he ends in God. This is what right do I have? to cry anymore to the king. I'm just totally, totally unworthy. That is the way to leave the Lord's Supper. What do I have that I have not received? And if I've received it, wherefore do I boast? I'm totally unworthy of everything. I want to end only, in my God as the primary causation of all things, and I bow in whatever he sends my way. And you see Mephibosheth in doing that, is resembling, of course, Jesus himself. The suffering servant, the Passion Lord, who we're commemorating in these weeks. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, who bowed this way before his Father. If it be possible, O my Father, spare me from having to drink this cup down to its bottom bitter dregs. But no answer from his Father. He has to surrender everything to his father. The cup must be drunk to the bottom. A significant portion of that cup, you see. For Mephibosheth, following the Savior, was was being surrounded by lying, by blaspheming. But Jesus was surrounded by lying, blaspheming Zibas in abundance who trumped up false charges against him and got him crucified all on false charges. The scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the secular people, the Romans, the Gentiles, the Jews, they were all Zibas. They all were hypocrites. They all knew what they were doing to one degree or another. And yet Jesus gets on the cross and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How could he say it? How could Mephibosheth do it? Well, because of Christ. Because of Christ. Mephibosheth ends in Christ. And you see, that is that is where we get our strength to go forward. To go forward. So, I'm asking you tonight. Have you ever been in the place of Mephibosheth? Cut off from everything, and the only thing you can, you can do now is just cast yourself upon the Lord, look to him for help and for guidance, and trust in him alone for salvation, and be like Jesus first uh, peter puts it, puts it so well. Uh, in fact, why don 't you turn there with me just a moment because it 's really apropos to this whole passage. 1 Peter 2. Here's what happens when God deepens our sense of misery and suffering, and we we suffer unjustly. We become more like Christ. 1 Peter 2. For what glory, verse 20, For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well, like Mephibosheth was doing well, And suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. For even hereunto were you called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For we were as sheep going astray, but are now returning to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Well, how beautiful this is when we become nothing before Christ And learn to follow in our suffering Savior's footsteps. Then we are deepened in the field of misery. But also in the field of deliverance. By God's primary, ultimate, providential causation, as Calvin would put it. The day comes when Absalom's kingdom becomes a failure. And David is restored as king, and he returns to Jerusalem. And it's interesting that Mephibosheth then forgets all his misery and goes out to meet the king, we're told, in chapter 19, verse 24. Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down, that is, he left Jerusalem, went down to the Jordan, and he'll meet David as soon as David crosses over the Jordan. And he neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his dressed dressed himself nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. How he got down there, we don't know. Maybe he got someone else to, to to fetch him a donkey. But what's important to understand is that far before the king reached Jerusalem, Mephibosheth joined the company that was welcoming David home. Now, that company was pretty large, we're told, even thousands. So David doesn't really speak to Mephibosheth, all the way from the Jordan, all the way back into Jerusalem. Verse 25 says, it came to pass that after a while, after a while means come to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem, that the king said unto him, wherefore wentest thou not with me, Mephibosheth? So picture it this way. David goes down to the Jordan to meet the king. He cannot live without the king. The king comes through the Jordan with lots of people, shouting victory and healing him, and he's being restored to his kingship. He comes all the way back up to Jerusalem. They get back up to Jerusalem, and then David has a little private encounter with Mephibosheth. He says, "Why why didn't you go with me the first time? Oh, what a trial. What a trial for Mephibosheth. Walking back all that ways. Or riding on a donkey, perhaps. And David not saying anything to him. Not answering a word. Yes, there's a lot of people. But Mephibosheth had a big heart, big place in the heart of David. Mephibosheth must have felt on the way back, don't you think, like the Canaanite woman. He answered her, not a word. Mephibosheth's thoughts must have been multiplied. But finally he has the chance. David asks him, why didn't you go with why didn't you go with me? And Mephibosheth is honest in his answer. In the first place, he says to David, look at verse 26 My Lord, O king, my servant, deceive me, for thy servant said, I will saddle me and ask that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. But he has slandered thy servant unto my lord, the king. In other words, he's saying, King David, I wanted to come to you. I even called for a donkey, but Ziba left without me. He deceived me. He slandered me. I want you to know the truth. Now, exactly at that point, what do you expect Mephibosheth to say? I know what I would say. And what you would probably say. We'd probably say, please have mercy on me, David, because I'm innocent. The charge was false. That's not what he says. Notice what he says. But my Lord, the King, is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in Thy own eyes. I've learned in my misery to trust thy character. That's what he's saying. And Lord, I leave it in thy hands. I trust thee more than I trust myself. You see, that's deepening, deepening in our sense of deliverance in God, that we trust Him more than we trust ourselves. He doesn't open up his own defense. In fact, he cuts off his own defense. It's as if he says, I'm not going to defend myself. I have no rights. You've treated me so well, like an angel of God. All my father's house were but dead men before my Lord the King. Were it not for thee, Lord, I'd still be in Lodabar, in Maker. You see what he's saying even though I am innocent of what Ziba accused me of. I'm still a guilty sinner in myself. I still have that blood of Saul in my veins. I still deserve to perish. But Thou art an angel of God. Thou art like a deliverer to me. I've experienced Thy goodness. I fall into Thy hands. If I perish, I perish. But I fall unconditionally into Thy hands. How different. It's so interesting. The Holy Spirit puts... The story about Shimei receiving David back just in front of the one about Mephibosheth receiving David back. And what a difference between the two. Shimei comes confessing himself. Verse 20, For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I, I am the first to come this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord the King. Don't you think you should reward me, Lord, because I was the first one on sight to receive you? Oh, Shimei, you cursed the king. But the result of his repentance, his fake repentances, well, it's, Lord, look at me. Look at me. I'm the first one. I deserve something. I'm the first one to come down to receive you back. Don't I deserve some credit, some mercy? But you see, grace, grace does just the opposite. Lord, I be but a dead man, says Mephibosheth. We're not for thee. Shimei sinned and then faked confession. And yet David was so gracious, he even said, I won't put you to death. But Mephibosheth did not sin in this situation. And yet said, what right have I to cry to the king? He cuts himself off, as it were. It says, I have no rights. And so when we leave the Lord's Supper, we don't leave it thinking something of ourselves, thinking we're great converted people. But we leave it just the opposite. This is amazing that we could sit at the king's table, lame on both of our feet, as it were. We can't do anything of ourselves. And yet being a hell-worthy sinner, this God is more than an angel to us, actually. He's He's divine. He's he's essential goodness. He's essential love. What have I ever done to deserve this? And we're filled with a sense of deliverance in Christ. We're amazed at the wonder of this miracle, and it spills over into gratitude. But then David says something else. Verse 29. Something very interesting. Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? What a strange statement. Mephibosheth has poured out his heart. When you first read it, you almost think that David is against Mephibosheth. No, no. What he's saying is, okay, I've heard you, Mephibosheth. You don't need to elaborate. I understand. You were done in by Ziba. I understand now. It is enough. It is enough, Mephibosheth. I can hear that my absence has purified your love for me and that you are more zealous in that love than ever before when you were sitting at my table. I can, I can sense that it's deepening in you. Don't You don't need to speak anymore. It's enough. I accept you fully again, Mephibosheth. Why, why speak more of thy matters? I have a heart of goodness. I have a heart of mercy. I receive it. I believe it. I restore you. It is enough. And the burden rolls off Mephibosheth's back. He's still accepted by David. The sweetness of David's forgiving grace by renewal. Mephibosheth has passed the test of the trial of deliverance as well as a trial of misery. His deliverance is renewed and deepened. It's all in the greater David. David understands. David forgives. It is enough. And you see post-communion. The parallel is there, isn't it? The greater David. Christ is enough. He's enough. He's done everything we need. He knows our heart. He knows. He's placed a desire in our heart for Himself. And we can honestly say to Him, Oh, that I knew where I might find Him. All my salvation is in Him. It is enough. My deliverance is renewed. I've I've tasted the wine that points to His blood. I've eaten the bread that points to His broken body. He assures me as surely as I eat and drink. So surely when I do it by faith. He will be enough for me. It is enough. So, Jesus, it enough, is contrasted with our, it is enough. You know, when Jesus came back three times in the Garden of Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Arise, don't sleep. Judas is coming to betray me. All three times they're sleeping. Third time he comes back. You can read it in the Gospel of John. He says, it's enough. Judas is here. It's enough. There's no expectation from me toward you. You just sleep and sleep and sleep away while I'm suffering and agonizing. I'm doing it all. It's enough. And then Peter takes out his sword and cuts off Malchus' ear. And Jesus puts the ear back on How long must I be with you? It's enough. It's enough. You see, Jesus had to be tested by our sin to the point where he had to say, it's enough. So that he, by his obedience, could really be enough for us so that we come to him as sinners and say, it is enough in him. He's merited our total salvation. Why speak any more of thy matters? I've washed away your sin. I've cleansed you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why keep looking to yourself for your righteousness? I am enough for you. Your salvation is all in me. I know ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. The stone is rolled away. He's interceding for you at the Father's right hand. He's your justification. He's your sanctification. He's your life. Yes, He is enough. Yes, He's more than enough. And He's bred enough to despair in the Father's house Through His sufferings. Through His death. Through His resurrection. Through His ascension. Let the burden roll off your back. Your total salvation is in Jesus Christ. Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? Look unto me all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, for I am God, and there is none else. There is enough in me for your total salvation. Rest entirely upon the finished righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's how we leave the Lord's Supper. Go back into the world. Go back into our families. Go back into our private prayers knowing we're going to come short again and again. But in Jesus, it is enough. He knows I'm a sinner, but he receives me still. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. Oh God, help me to live totally, be devoted totally to Thee. Help me to go forward in Thy strength, looking to Jesus alone for salvation. But then, What happens? Well, David says something very strange. I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. Divide the land? Divide the land? What in the world does that mean? Why would Ziba get half of it for lying? And why would David take half away? From Mephibosheth. Well, that leads us into our third point about trial and renewal of gratitude. Thou and Ziba divide the land. So is David saying, Mephibosheth, we're going to compromise here? <clears throat> you, told, you told your side of the story. Ziba, you told your side of the story. I don't want to hear any more about it. I'm going to give you both 50%. That's enough for both of you. No, no, no. That cannot be because it was against the law to divide the king's inheritance at that time. And David has no intention of doing that. David is testing Mephibosheth. Testing Mephibosheth. You say, how so? Well, he's been tested in the field of misery and deliverance and he's passed both tests. Now he's being tested in the field of gratitude. But in what way? Well, to see if it's true. Does Mephibosheth really prefer David over all his benefits? Do you really prefer God over all the benefits he gives you? It's like the story. Solomon. Remember the baby that was claimed by two mothers. And Solomon says, I'll cut it in half. You can have half the baby and you can have half the baby. Well, of course Solomon was not serious. But he was testing. Who is the true mother? The true mother, of course, is going to say, no, no, give it to the other child because the true mother would rather have the child live than just have the benefits of her herself having the child. Because she loves the child itself. You remember that story, boys and girls. And then Solomon gave the baby to who? To the real mother. Who said, let the other mother have the child. I want that child to live. That's the real mother, you see. And a real mark of grace as we get deepened and seasoned in the grace by the Holy Spirit. Is we learn to love The greater David, Jesus, more than all the benefits, more than the servants, the fields, the privileges of eating at the king's table, the reputation. Will Mephibosheth love David supremely? In other words, it comes down to this. David or his benefits? And look at how Mephibosheth passes this last test in verse 30. It's so beautiful. It's overwhelmingly beautiful. Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all. Let him take all. For as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. It's as if Mephibosheth says, "Oh king David, Ziba can have everything. It's not that I don't appreciate your gifts, O king. But they're all nothing to me compared to my love for you. That I can see your face again. That I can enjoy your company again. That I can be in your presence again. David, you are what is most important to me. And all your possessions, all your benefits are secondary. I'm just filled with gratitude for you. I rejoice that you are being restored to your throne and to your glory. That's what the old divines, the reformers and puritans meant when they said... We have to learn, we have to be deepened in season and grace to learn to value the triune God more than the benefits that he gives. And you see, this is God's way in Mephibosheth's life of leading him to this point. So that his countenance may shine upon us, and we would say, Lord, the one thing post-communion that I desire above all else is thy presence. Enjoying thy fellowship. Enjoying thyself. Delighting in thee. Keep thyself near and all shall be well no matter what happens to the benefits. Keep me in the palm of thy hand and get glory to thyself in me and through me. That is most important to me. Let my life end in Thy glory alone. For the King has come again to His own house. It's like Asaph. Whom have I, Lord, in heaven but Thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside Thee. Oh, what a sweet depth of gratitude this is. Jonathan Edwards put it so well when he said... The greatest moments of beauty and glory and gratitude in my life have been those moments when I've been so carried upward to behold the glory of God, that the glory of God went far above and beyond my own salvation. And I was taken up with God Himself in His persons, in His trinity, to love Him above all His benefits. Mephibosheth, forgets himself with a holy forgetfulness, and he ends in David. And that is real growth spiritually. You see, when we are attached to the greater David, when God's glory becomes our passion, oh, that this communion this morning would bear that fruit in my life, in your life, that we would be more concerned about God's glory for His covenant's sake. Because that's the secret behind this whole story. Right? David had made a covenant with Jonathan. David had made a covenant with Jonathan. That's the the secret behind Mephibosheth passing all these tests. It was covenantal fruits of this glorious covenant. And that's why when you turn to 2 Samuel 21 verse 7, the Bible's final reference to Mephibosheth, and you read these words. This is a summary, a summary of the rest of the life of Mephibosheth. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. And now you don't read about the servants or or, or, or the eating at the table or all these benefits, but you just read this. Because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So God's grace was upon Mephibosheth Mephibosheth, not because of anything of Mephibosheth. Not even because Mephibosheth passed these tests. Not because of his devoted love. Not because of the bunches of raisins, the animals, or anything else he wanted to send to David. It was all the fruit of the covenant made between David and Jonathan. And as we grow in grace... As we grow in understanding experientially our misery, deliverance, and gratitude, we grow at the same time in understanding that everything revolves around the covenant made between God the Father and God the Son from all eternity. And David is like God the Father looking down upon poor Mephibosheth. And Jonathan stands between them. As David looks at Mephibosheth, he sees Jonathan. And he says, for Jonathan's sake, I will surely show thee kindness. And if you're a true believer, you see, it is God who made you such. And he looks down upon you and sees Christ, the greater Jonathan, standing between you and him. And he says, surely I will show you everlasting kindness, everlasting love. With cords of everlasting love have I drawn you because you know because I have made a covenant with a greater Jonathan. It's all about his covenant mercies. It's all about him, you see. The Father decreed it. The Son merited it. The Holy Spirit applied it. And so Mephibosheth, as far as we know, never loses his lameness in his body. But he also never loses his love for David. He lives, as we heard this morning at the table, he lives that dependent life that dependent life upon David. But he can do that because there's a covenant between David and Jonathan. And you and I, with all our lameness, with all our neediness, we can go on living despite our weakness and our frailty because of the covenant made between the Father and the Son. And so from one Lord's Supper to the next, to the next, to the next, God is strengthening us, deepening us, in loving the triune God and emptying us, hopefully, more and more of ourselves so that we increasingly see that salvation is purely one-sided, free and sovereign for His covenant sake. And that enables us to cry out all our lifetime, Who am I that thou shouldst look at such a dead dog as I am? I thank Thee. Triune God, for Thy covenant's sake, grounded in the passion, Savior, in His atoning blood, sweet, 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 blood-sealed Trinitarian covenant that is sure and solid. Trust in that. And stop trusting in Your righteousness. Rest wholly and solely upon the one-sided covenant of God's superabounding grace. And when you do that, like Mephibosheth, you show yourself to be a true son of Jonathan, a true son, a true follower, a true disciple of the Lord of glory, who met all your covenant conditions. In the covenant of works, he met them with his perfect obedience. And the covenant of grace, he makes them by shedding his blood for you so that forever and ever and ever your salvation is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of you who don't know Christ savingly at all, you see, this is what you're missing. You're still trying one way or another to think that somehow you're going to get to heaven in some way apart from this one-sided bloody covenant. And it won't happen. Outside of the bloody covenant of God through the sacrifice of the Passion Savior, there is nothing but death and hell waiting for us. Flee to the blood. Flee to the Savior. Bow in repentance. Ask for grace to believe in Him alone for salvation. And then you too could say that others have all. As long as I have Thee, as long as I can be consumed with Thy glory, then all is well with my soul for Thy covenant's sake. Amen. Gracious God, we thank Thee so much for the Gospel, so much for the blood of Thy Son, so much for Thy covenant that is marinated in that blood. And we beseech of Thee, help us like Mephibosheth to be led deeper and deeper into our own misery, our deliverance in Christ, and a whole-souled gratitude to Thee for thy great salvation and let us go into the week now having had communion in thy strength trusting thee trusting thee supremely trusting thee exclusively trusting thee fully and do do work mightily lord bring to a spiritual breakthrough those who are caught in the hedges and struggle Am I a believer, am I not? Help them to lay all their weapons of self-defense down and just come as a poor, poor sinner, lame on both feet, crying out for mercy. For thou hast said, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.